Welcome to Decoding the Customer, a podcast about customer experience and how to realize customer-centric change in today's dynamic business world. I'm Julia Allfelt, Certified Customer Experience Professional, Business Advisor, and your host as we explore topics, trends, and best practices that are enabling brands to thrive in the age of the customer. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're a regular listener, thanks, and it's great to have you back. This is episode 83, the first episode for the month of May, 2020. Returning listeners will know that this show includes different types of episodes each week. Every month, I normally feature an expert interview or CX case study, something to inspire and spark thinking, while the rest of the month, we dive deep into the practical how-tos in the mini masterclass episodes. Today, I'm kicking off the month sharing a conversation that I recently had with Jennifer Wright, experienced customer experience leader and director of experience analytics at Magellan Health. Jennifer Wright is a customer experience transformation expert who designs and grows customer experience capabilities that generate actionable insights for business leaders. Through her experience building multiple CX capabilities across both the public and private sectors, she's developed a deep understanding of the common challenges faced when creating superior customer experience. Jennifer delivers innovative solutions to these challenges by leveraging cross-industry knowledge and service design methods. Jennifer is a certified customer experience professional and holds a doctorate in industrial psychology from the University of Oklahoma. Her work in the field of customer experience spans multiple industries. Jennifer has worked in the financial services sector, helping writers, data scientists, and psychologists to leverage behavioral economics or nudge techniques to help homeowners through the post-mortgage crisis in keeping their homes. She served as the branch chief of business analytics at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, building and leading the voice of customer team within this U.S. federal government agency. And most recently, she's worked at Magellan Health, where she leads the customer analytics function for this managed healthcare company. Given Jennifer's vast experience in customer insights and analytics across multiple industries and her current role working in the healthcare space, I thought she would be a great person to speak to about the impact of the current COVID-19 health pandemic on customer experience. The healthcare industry is certainly in the eye of the COVID-19 storm, but all industries will be impacted. And it's crucial that customer experience professionals continue gathering insights and helping their organizations navigate the new normal, whatever that might be. This means taking cues on how customer expectations have changed in the recent weeks and months, and then thinking about what aspects of this are most likely to stick. It's still uncertain how long shelter-in-place orders and social distancing will be in effect, but it's very probable that this experience will have an impact on the attitudes and behavior of consumers for a long time to come. In our conversation, Jennifer and I discuss how customer behavior has changed recently, what good customer experience looks like in the era of COVID-19 and beyond, some examples of organizations that have been able to quickly pivot, and finally, how the pandemic may change the way in which organizations measure and manage customer experiences. We kick off the conversation talking about how Jennifer got into the field of customer experience and some of the lessons that she's learned about connecting the dots with CX Insights 
and how to most effectively present this to senior leaders, which is something that is especially important in this moment, as customer experience professionals may very likely find themselves sharing new trends that veer into uncharted waters for business leaders. So, if you're looking for some insight on how COVID-19 is impacting customer experience and what you can do to help your organization prepare for customer experience management in the new normal, then stay tuned. A summary of the insights from my conversation with Jennifer will be available in the show notes for this episode, which are on my website, julia-allfelt.com or decodingthecustomer.com. Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. So you've had a really interesting and varied career. Can you share a little bit about how you became a customer experience professional? Sure. It was really by accident. I came out of grad school looking for something a little off the beaten path. You know, most of the people I went to school with were looking in HR firms or big box consulting firms. And I had an opportunity to join a consulting team working in consumer psychology in mortgage services. And I was really excited about doing something a little bit different and working with a diverse team of other psychologists, but getting to apply research in a different way. And almost immediately after that, the consequences of the mortgage controversy started hitting the fan, so to speak. So I was put to work doing a lot more technical consumer psychology work, but more along the lines of customer communications. And that really moved very rapidly into experience design work. Ultimately, what I learned was customer experience. And when I discovered how that really dovetailed nicely into a lot of the things I'd learned in grad school, I never looked back. And since then, I've moved away from more designing experiences and designing customer communications into customer analytics. And that's where I've spent most of my time since. So it was happy accidents. Yeah. And, and your current experience working in analytics probably dovetails really nicely with your experience in research and psychology too, I'd imagine. The psychology research degree that I have, it's focused in industrial organizational psychology and that area of psychology is very quantitative and statistics oriented. So it works beautifully for someone who does analytics. Although I wouldn't consider myself a data analyst or data scientist per se, I tend to think more conceptually about the programs of analysts. And I manage analysts who are much smarter about that than I am. But it works really nicely to be in the the analytics side of customer experience. But I think the thing that I get the most out of the psychology training is really more about thinking about how organizations operate, understanding business processes and how teams work, and pulling a lot from how important it is to understand the employee experience. Really, that was how I started connecting the dots between the employee and the customer. That was really when I started seeing why my grad school experience mattered for customer experience. And once I connected the dots there, I knew that I was in the right field. In my mind, I think the field of customer experience really gained traction through the analytics and insights side of things. So I think that part of customer experience out of all of the different competencies is probably the most robust. If organizations are going to look into developing a CX program, that's where they start. But then bridging the divide between those insights and analytics and actually driving change is really tough. Oh, yeah, undoubtedly. I think 
the utopian vision is to have one giant database that allows you to join your data between your employee experience or customer experience and your business outcomes. And for those of us rare few CX professionals who can get there, I mean, it's a dream come true to have that data and to be able to present it to your senior leadership where they're making informed decisions about their business. If there's someone out there who does that, I would love to meet them and find out how they did it. But my training puts me in a better position to help understand how I can get closer to that. But I don't know that I'm going to delude myself that I can get there, certainly not alone, but uh, get there overnight by any means. The utopia that you describe is the utopia that every CX professional out there would just love. The magic database that unifies all the data across the entire organization. But I think strides are being made in those areas. And, you know, the longer customer experience is around as a profession, the closer I suppose we can move to that utopia. Oh, yeah. When I first came to Magellan, one of the first things I did was I tracked down the lead of our HR analytics team and I introduced myself and maintained a relationship with him since. We just keep in touch and check in on what each other's doing. And then that culminated in a joint presentation to our senior leadership team about two months ago, where we finally were able to join at a very, very superficial level, the employee experience data and the customer experience data. But we were able to show some comments side by side that mirrored employee experience and customer experience. And it was incredibly powerful for us to be able to say, here is why some of the issues that we've talked about very anecdotally are actually happening and we have some data to demonstrate it. Again, it was a small data set. It was just a couple of individual themes that we wanted to point to, but even those small victories are really meaningful and incredibly rewarding. But those are the kinds of things that remind me why I do what I do. That's excellent. And do you feel sometimes when you're presenting that stuff that you're doing a little bit of like presenting common sense to leaders too? I mean, we talk about like, oh, employee experience is connected to customer experience. And I think a lot of people feel like that's common sense, but it's a different argument when you're in the boardroom. It's a feeling that you get a lot in psychology programs too. Everybody's their own psychologist and they think, oh, well, of course I know, you know, smart people do better jobs. And, you know, this is stuff that we have tomes of research on in psychology. And it's the same is very true. Um, a lot of the CX findings that we present, I try to leverage that a little bit to say, well, this is great that this is something you already agree with. So we're already on the same page about knowing that this finding makes sense. Let's talk about how we can leverage that to improve the business. And so I try and parlay that into a relationship building exercise and say, yeah, we already know what to do about it. And here's how I can leverage this knowledge that you already have because you're smarter than everybody else and you already had the data in your brain. Sometimes that's effective, sometimes not, but it's helpful for me to try and spin that into a positive rather than let it get me down. I think it varies with the leader on how I approach it. And I try and get my background political knowledge before I go into a call to understand what's the best strategy for spinning the data when I expect that to happen. I think the role of the CX professional is part data analyst, part design thinker, part diplomat. And those skills, because it's such an incredibly cross-functional role are really important. Then you just kind of have to learn that as you go too. I mean, I think, you know, when we look at the skills that are needed to be a CX professional, so much of it is experiential learning. Some of the most important lessons I have learned have been lessons I've learned the hard way. <laughs> They're things that 
even somebody could have told me in school or on the job. And I don't know that I would have learned them certainly not as well, but I don't know that I would have been able to learn them from somebody just telling me. Sometimes I have to find them out for myself through experience and through seeing what the outcomes of my execution style would have been. A lot of it, I'd say, particularly true for how to build relationships and leverage interpersonal interactions to get things done rather than just assuming that just because you're the boss means that people will listen to you because that is almost never the case. I'd like to shift gears a little bit and spend some time chatting with you about current events. So we know you work in the healthcare sector, which is a sector that is really in the eye of the COVID-19 storm. This novel coronavirus has changed everything. In a matter of a couple of weeks, this virus has brought entire sectors of the economy to a standstill, closed schools, forced a good chunk of the world's population into some form of shelter in place or lockdown. It's brought this term social distancing to the forefront of our mind and our lives. It was something that if you'd asked me, what is social distancing three months ago, four months ago, I'd have been like, I have no idea. And now it's like the biggest thing in my life. How do you think this health pandemic has changed customer behavior and customer expectations? I don't know. Honestly, it's going to be a tough call for probably the next year to two years. We're going to see a lot of different impacts and probably differences by different sectors. So I know in the healthcare space, we're seeing a tremendous increase in telehealth, both usage and the availability of telehealth. And that's probably the area I can talk most intelligently about. There's definitely some positives there. And I think the one of the big ones is not just that people are staying home and creating a safer environment for them to get care because they're not putting themselves at risk by exposing themselves or others to coronavirus, but people who would maybe have less access to healthcare because they are homebound or have fewer transportation options, particularly now, now would actually have access to care more easily because of the telehealth options that are being made available. It's not just the providers are making them available, but payers, both in the private sector and public sector, are covering them through insurance. So that it is affordable in a way that it hasn't been before. So it's making care truly accessible, not just physically, but financially. And so I think like with a lot of things that came out of the Affordable Care Act, like coverage for people 26 and under, it's going to be really hard to put the genie back in the bottle and reverse on that, particularly the longer this goes and the more that customer expectations are set with this being a way of life. I think it's a little early to tell whether that's going to be the way that healthcare goes. But my personal belief is that telehealth is a beneficial service for members, providers, and payers. And I would like to see it become part of the way healthcare operates. And it's interesting because telehealth is something that Again, I think makes really good common sense, but just hasn't been a feature of healthcare. It hasn't been adopted and it's not the way that the healthcare system has functioned. And so instead we all take time off of work and make an appointment and go into the doctor's office and see the doctor and have a 10 minute conversation that took us an hour and a half to organize. (laughs) And maybe that's an example of a customer experience is really going to change for the better for everybody. Yeah, I think the more the customer expectations are set with this idea that 
either healthcare or other services are conducted in a way that people don't have to get in a car and go somewhere to have them. I think the harder it's going to be to set that expectation that you have to travel somewhere for a service. And the longer this goes on, the more entrenched that expectation is going to become. It's going to be interesting to see how things change in a number of sectors like healthcare over the next couple of months to see whether telehealth or tele whatever services become part of the norm. This move towards the virtual of bringing things to me virtually can extend across so many sectors. How many people do you know now who are getting their groceries delivered and they're just that's becoming a part of their lives. Think about all the people who are working from home now that weren't working from home before. And some of the big companies out there have predicted that we probably won't go back to a kind of situation where everybody is going into these massive office blocks all the time, that people are going to be working from home more, that that's actually going to just become a part of the fabric of how we do business going forward. As somebody with a background in organizational research, I'm very interested to see how that materializes over the next year or so, because I think the more comfortable people get with working from home, the harder it's going to be for companies to say, you need to come back to the headquarters, particularly if people are productive at home, which all the research suggests that most people can be productive at home with the right technology set up and with the right support system from their home office. I think there's some serious implications of that for customer experience as well. If people are more productive working from home, there's a lot of arguments to suggest that the customers are going to benefit from that as well. So we're now kind of anywhere from six to 12 weeks into a response to the virus, at least in Western economies. I think when these stay-at-home orders first came out, businesses were just sort of like, whoa, they were in this phase of initial shock. But now a little bit of time has passed, and I think businesses have had the opportunity to take stock of what's happening and understand how things are changing, figure out what customer experience is with social distancing and how they're going to deal with it. What are some of the main ways in which you think customer experience has changed besides the move that we were just talking about to more virtual? Do you think that there are other more nuanced ways that customer experience is changing? Well, I think it's been interesting looking at the places where they can't move to completely virtual experiences. Grocery stores are a great example. There's this move to actual low-touch experiences where they're literally minimizing the amount of things you touch when you go into a physical environment. I think that there's definitely going to be some changes to the experience that I think will Even if we do go back to the way things were, where they remove the physical, like the clear barriers between a cashier and a customer, there's going to be a period where we feel a little strange touching things. And that's a change in the sensory experience of being in a public space. I can't imagine that people won't be affected by that when they're going out to grocery stores, when they're going out to restaurants. How comfortable are people going to be sitting in a public space with people around them after having been told? stay six feet away from others. That physical environment, I think, is going to be kind of weird for people for a while. And that low-touch experience, there may be a point where that just becomes part of the norm where we just aren't touching things. And I think that's a weird concept to think about, just given that I think it's not been part of the way we process customer experience. But something I've been thinking about a lot lately, especially as I go grocery shopping once a week and I have to think about everything I touch. It's like one of these things you can't unsee. You know, once you start 
thinking about the fact that there could be this potentially deadly, super contagious virus on the things you're touching, you can't not think about it. Like you, I wonder if we'll ever be able to go back to not thinking about it. Yeah. I hear stories about people who lived through the Great Depression talk about how that impacted every single thing about their consumption and that they would hoard money and food and things like that, that they changed fundamentally as people and particularly as consumers because of how long they had to go basically being without a lot of basic needs. And I don't know that we'll necessarily have that strong of an impact because of just the length of time this is likely to go on. But fundamentally, our brains are likely to change because of how many different things about our lives are being impacted by this event. Will that impact customers in different age ranges differently? So those customers who are a little bit older, the baby boomers who formed their habits, will this affect them less than, say, millennials or Gen Z who are maybe having more of their formative years right now? Or will it affect everybody the same? I can imagine there being generational differences, but that would be hard to say. I read some research a while ago suggesting that it was Gen Z, the folks growing up from about 2000 and on, experiencing higher levels of anxiety than other generations, and I think Gen Y as well. And to have to experience this kind of event on top of some other major events, I think of like 9-11 and then the recession in 2008, 2009, those kind of major events that can cause collective anxiety in a society have got to be difficult to live through. And then to have this as well, I could see there being just some significant psychological impact of having all of those things add on to you forming a different mindset as you age. Whereas folks like baby boomers, they may be a little bit more set in their ways and have a different perspective on things. And I suppose that time will only tell how the impact of the coronavirus changes consumer behavior and expectations and what customers want and need. We're probably a long way away from knowing what that impact looks like. Yeah, I've started to see some research from a few of the consulting firms come out where they're beginning to make some guesses about where consumer spending is going uh, right now and project out. But I think it's still pretty early. I mean, we're starting to see things like toilet paper and paper towels and cleaning supplies are starting to be in higher supply now that people are adjusting to the way of life that we're in now. That we're already seeing some of those patterns start to change as people get accustomed to being homebound and the panic buying is subsiding, at least in certain products. So I have a feeling that we're going to see waves of things being more popular as people adjust to different conditions. And I don't expect that that will change as conditions change and people collectively decide they need different products as part of being more homebound or as states decide they are ready to reopen as people start rejoining collective society. What do you think makes a good experience in this time of COVID-19? There have been a few places that have done a really good job. Most of them are local establishments that have done a good job at pivoting, not really their strategy, but have really done a good job at understanding that people generally still want the same things and want to feel like some things are normal, but they're experiencing products and services in a different way. So I'll give you an example. 
St. Louis has a really thriving restaurant scene of local restaurants. And there's been a great community of those restaurants working together to try and stay open and still deliver food to members of the community. But you know, you eat food differently when you're at home than when you do at a restaurant. And so a lot of the restaurants here have been offering discounted family-style meals that are still the same food, but it's delivered in ways that you would eat it when you're at home. It's a little thing to offer it instead of an individual meal distribution versus a family style. But to offer it that way, it gives people a sense of a family meal because they're eating it at home, but it's the same food they like from the restaurant and it's delivered in a way that they can eat it at a family meal and it's offered at a discount. So they can still get really good food, but at a lower price. So it's much more affordable. Things like that are kind of accounting for the new circumstances that people are living in. And stuff like that I've seen done pretty successfully around here. And I thought that nice little detail was really helpful for some of those restaurants. I think those little bits of normalcy or a memory of what normal was before COVID-19 are so precious. It's so precious for consumers right now. To me, the little things have been a lot more powerful than even some of the bigger grand gestures, you know, like we're donating a million dollars to this place. Those are wonderful. But I think what's really been great is some of the nice details that we've seen. Like actually just yesterday, a provider that is just in my neighborhood, one of the local shops sent out an email to all of the people in their mailing list said, this isn't a sales email. We just want to let you know that we are wanting to say, we hope you're doing well right now. We know everything is tough and just wanted to say hello and wish you all the best right now. And it was just an email from the owner, like a person to person email. It was really nice. And stuff like that is going on a lot. Those details are very encouraging to me to see businesses doing nice little things to keep everyone in good spirits. It's interesting that the examples that you've mentioned are these local small business examples and not the big corporate brand name examples that are in the news. Do you think that these smaller local businesses have a better finger on the pulse of what their customers want and need because of the nature of their business? What do you think has enabled them to respond differently than some of the big global brands that we all know? That's a really interesting question. And I don't know that I have a great answer for you. One of the things that I have really fallen in love with St. Louis for is the wonderful community of locally run, locally owned businesses. And so I follow a lot of them. I try to be really supportive of those businesses. And so it may be that I'm just more attentive to them. But I know that a lot of the bigger brands are operating at a a larger level. So they're paying more attention to the larger scale. So it may be just that they can't attend to what an individual community needs in St. Louis City. So that might be why I hadn't been noticing it. Purina's headquarters is in town here, and they have been supporting local businesses through ordering meals for their on-site employees. That's a wonderful gesture. And I know that that makes a huge difference for the community, but it's one of those things that it's hard for me to keep that on my radar because I'm tending to the places in my immediate neighborhood. And it's easier to pay attention to the places in my neighborhood since I'm not driving anywhere. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, the bubble gets much smaller. Yeah. So in that sense, I actually can walk to some of those businesses. And so I know what they're doing a little bit more easily. That's interesting. I wonder if that's another thing that will change with customer expectations as a move towards more local, smaller bubbles, maybe. I would love to see that. I'm a big advocate for shopping and supporting local businesses. But I don't know. I believe it was an article from 
it was either Forrester or McKinsey has done some research on impacts of COVID on shopping and consumer patterns and customer experience. And they were saying that there's already interest from customers in having richer in-person customer experiences, that people are growing tired of the digital experience. And then it's great to have stuff delivered to your door, you know, in two days or less or whatever, but that because they've been deprived of going to a shop and buying things or going to a restaurant, that they're missing that in-person experience. And so, you know, it would be great to know that the pendulum may swing back toward in-person dining and shopping locally and going to the store and buying things and all of that. I would personally love to hear that when this is over, we get a little bit more back to the old school way of doing things. If we as consumers need to pick and choose those in-person moments more carefully from a health perspective, we're going to want those moments to count. We're not going to want them to be transactional moments. We're probably going to want them to be really meaningful moments. I read something, this was a while ago, so I can't even remember the source, talking about retail changing over time and how it's sort of diverging in two different directions, one being consumption that fits seamlessly within the customer's life and the other one being experiences that add richness to the customer's life. So we're either looking for an experience that is the Amazon delivery, that is the drive through Starbucks because it fits seamlessly into my life, and then it's very transactional Or when I decide to diverge from that in the moments I do, I really want something that counts. I want to go to the local coffee house and I want to smell the beans being roasted and I want to hear the jazz music. You know, I want to have a conversation with the barista about some drink I've never heard of, you know, because it's a part of that experience. But I pick one of those two channels. And maybe what's happening with COVID is it's even pushing us to choose more extremely because we have to be more careful with our health. We've got to choose fewer of those in-person moments. So, I mean, that could be another thing we see. I could see that increasing people's appreciation for the richness of those moments. I certainly miss a lot of those experiences myself. When we have the ability to go back to those experiences, I think we'll really appreciate them. I think there are lots of things that we don't do, we can't have right now, that we will never take for granted again. I'm in South Africa, and just today, they allowed people to get outside to exercise. So we've all been locked in our houses for the last five weeks, unable to go for walks outside. And they said right from six in the morning until nine, you can go outside and exercise. And people were so excited this morning. You could just see there were so many smiles on so many people's faces. Just sunshine, vitamin D, walking in the fresh air. I will never again take for granted being able to walk outside. Yeah, it's crazy how much it can make you appreciate little things by just being deprived of it. So shifting gears again, thinking about how COVID-19 and current health pandemic is impacting customer experience and then how businesses respond, do you think that this is having an impact on the way in which organizations measure and manage experiences? I think it's likely to. I think the more that we become dependent on technology for making our workforce more remote, I think there's going to be a lot more opportunities for us to measure experiences 
through some of those electronic delivery channels. So if we're doing deliveries for a restaurant, for example, there's a good chance they're using some sort of technology to manage the deliveries either coming in or how those deliveries are going out. As someone who works in analytics, the first thing I'm going to be asking about is, well, how do you get the data out of there? Can you look at the data and say, well, these kinds of orders are coming in from this location and they're coming in at this time. This can help you plan your inventory so that you can get the right kind of food in and maybe even do some meal prep around this time because you know you're going to be getting orders for brisket at this time of day. Have that ready. And then when the COVID thing is over, maybe you keep delivery or keep it on for certain days of the week. So it can help you actually start planning a strategy around it. And if you're really, really smart about it, when you implement some of these things, you could actually have the analytics baked into your implementation plan so that you are collecting data as part of how you implement your technology solution and you're getting data from day one. Gives you more ability to be adaptable. Should things not go the way you expect, you know why they're not going that way and you can make more changes. I would hope that those technology solutions that they're adapted, that you're building in, include the ability to collect data and allow them to understand how things are working. Even if it's something like a small business running a restaurant, on a larger scale, you know, you think of how companies are using tools like Zoom. You can get analytics out of there and see how many meetings are being held and compare that, hopefully, to previous data to look at even like Outlook calendars get it as a measure of productivity. So I could probably talk for an hour just on that, about how you could start measuring your productivity comparatively to look at how your company is performing. What you're talking about is blind spots within the way that companies had been delivering experiences because they weren't digitally based experiences or you know the operations behind the scenes of the experience weren't digital are maybe now becoming digital. And so you're now addressing some of those blind spots because anytime you've got a digital interface, you also have a data trail. So now you're creating more data trails and that opens up a whole new world of information that organizations can potentially use to learn. Whenever I get involved in any project where there's a technology solution available or being discussed, that's the first thing that I'm asking about is what data is going to be available as part of the technology solution, or do we have the opportunity to introduce some sort of data collection as part of that? Because any kind of analytics that we can use to pull operational measures or performance measures along the way is going to give us some way to understand how things are going. So I'm always going to be interested in that whenever I hear technology solutions being deployed. Absolutely. And it makes sense to think about that stuff up front, too, that's being deployed and it's creating a data trail. We should be capturing that data trail. Of all the things that are changing for companies right now, I would say almost all of them, even if they're not moving their workforce to telework, are likely implementing some new technology solutions to manage the changes that they're dealing with. And I think that there's opportunities for analytics as a part of that. Are you seeing any changes in the healthcare sector? to this effect? We are definitely introducing a lot of changes as a result of the introduction of telehealth. I work for a payer. And so as part of that, we're figuring out how do we support providers and members in ensuring that they're still getting care, in ensuring that providers are still able to deliver care through telehealth by incentivizing it, by paying for telehealth services. And then how do we make sure that members understand? You can still get your appointments go to your appointments, you can just do that through telehealth. And here's what telehealth is, and here's how you get it, and all of that. 
So what we're doing is actually getting information out there because up until all of this, telehealth was a side service and you would get this extra card with your insurance that says, here, you can call Teladoc or whatever other service you had available. But it was a side thing that wasn't really utilized a whole lot. So now it's the primary option for a lot of folks. So we're just trying to make sure people understand what it is, how to use it, and why it's a better option in most cases than going to your doctor's office. So that's been the biggest change for us is promoting this entirely new or new for us really mechanism for getting care. Do you see any resistance from the medical industry around telehealth? From what I can tell, for the most part, providers are really excited about it. I think it's because in addition to making it safer for doctors to administer care, because there's just fewer people they physically come into contact with, it's another way for them to get more time with patients because they're not physically walking from one space to another. They can actually get more time with an individual patient because there's not waiting room time and all sorts of other transition moments that they have to deal with. So it ends up adding some extra efficiencies that give them more time with individual patients. I believe the American Medical Association was very positive about it. I know that a number of the government regulatory bodies are really excited about it. So it's approved for Medicare and Medicaid, which was a huge deal for the government to be behind it. With having all of that in place, I think doctors were going to be very supportive of it because once it's covered by insurance, they know they're going to get their payments and They have technology available to make it easier for them. So they're on board. I think that the challenge is going to be what happens when this is over. Do they keep doing it? And do members use telehealth for everything? Do they do it for very specific things? How do they make those decisions? I think that's going to be where the tricky decisions start coming into play. I think time will tell how behavior change is going forward and what sticks and what doesn't and what aspects of this people can unsee and which ones they can't unsee. But it's interesting, I mean, amid all of this sadness that goes along with this health pandemic and the loss of life, there are some small silver linings. And maybe some of those silver linings are things like creating better experiences in the healthcare sector that are more accessible to a broader array of customers so that these customers or patients can be healthier and live fuller, longer lives. Oh, yeah, definitely. The things that I think about are people in the behavioral health care. We have a lot of people who have children who have difficult to manage conditions, children with autism, who it can be very difficult getting them out of the house into a vehicle, getting them to the doctor. That can be a challenge, just that process. And if you think of having to do that multiple times a week, that's very taxing. So the idea of being able to offer telehealth to those families, particularly now when everyone's already stressed and overworked and has potentially other kids at home trying to be homeschooled, that to me makes me feel really good. Then you think of other folks who are homebound, who would be reliant on public transportation, would spend one to three hours going through multiple bus stops or having to wait for the public transportation to get to a doctor's appointment. That would improve their quality of life by being able to get them a telehealth appointment where they can just join from home. So these kinds of services add tremendous value to people who would otherwise have to go through a lot of effort 
just to get to a medical appointment. And in many cases, they're going through multiple appointments a week or per month. And those are things that are hard to quantify. And a lot of times we don't get a lot of surveys from these people. So it's hard to represent those folks in the data that we share with our senior leadership. We just get anecdotes from individuals. And that's the kind of thing that makes me feel good to understand that these are people who are being helped by this service. And that's great to be able to know that you're a part of that. And amid all of this craziness, that's something that's positive. Yeah, there's some positives to be had here. And I think if nothing else, this is forcing a lot of industries, not just healthcare, but a lot of industries to innovate and to think really creatively about how to deliver better experiences. I think it's pulled the rug out from underneath a lot of companies, really forced them to rethink their customer experience design from the ground up. There are some industries, you know, I think about the travel sector and the cruise industry. Ooh, I think there's some industries that are going to really have to rethink things. I think cruises, I think airlines are going to be challenged for a while. But yes, I think travel in particular is going to have some big decisions to make. In closing, what advice would you have for customer experience leaders out there who are also in the eye of the storm in their own industry, in their own sector, in their own organization, and they're trying to help guide things through this pandemic? What advice would you have for them? What I often tell people in customer experience in particular The skills that I use probably the most often are related to relationship building and working across team lines. So a lot of my job, more than I could have ever imagined when I started, is related to working almost as a consultant. Even though I work internally in my company and I don't have any kind of external consulting roles, I treat my job as though I am an external consultant and that everyone I interact with is a customer. And... By taking that approach, it has helped me a lot in building bridges across the organization and helping get audiences with senior leaders who I don't think I would have been able to get in with otherwise. So having that network of people goes a long way. And the sooner you start, the better. It's not like you you build those relationships with the expectation of getting something out of them. So if you go in with that attitude, you won't get anywhere. But you go into it with the understanding that your function is to help people to build connections across the organization. And that by having that robust network, you're doing a service for the company and teams across the organization. And that network will benefit your ability to do your job as well. And at a time when businesses need to be agile and responsive and doing a good job of listening the stronger those connections across the silos or whatever you want to call them, the stronger they are, the better equipped I think the organization is to respond and deal with things. The more fractured they are, the more difficult it is. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I've had uh, multiple times benefited professionally by just having had multiple conversations with different teams of the organization and seen a benefit from connecting two people who didn't know one another, know that they would have a mutual interest and said, you know what, I should make this introduction. And then those teams end up working together and having some success because I saw that they should be working together. And it's because I had the network connections that had built those relationships personally that I was able to see that they needed to get to know each other. 
And once they knew that I was the one who made the connection, the value of CX was kind of what they took from it. And I was able to also help some folks as well. And I see that as kind of part of my job is kind of relationship building and connecting the dots across the organization. I think that's really great advice for all of the CX professionals out there. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. This was nice. I'm happy to talk. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Jennifer Wright. COVID-19 is top of mind for everyone. News coverage has been largely focused on the healthcare impact and the disastrous economic implications. But that leaves little guidance for CX professionals about where we can make a difference in consumers' lives and help our organizations navigate the storm. I hope that today's episode provided some ideas and inspiration about what we need to look out for and what we need to do. If you're enjoying the podcast, I invite you to share the program with others or head on over to iTunes and rate the program. This helps others discover the show. I'll be back every Thursday this month with new CX Mini Masterclass episodes. These episodes are designed to be punchy, bite-sized overviews of key customer experience concepts and practical approaches that you can use. So be sure to listen in or subscribe for updates when new shows go live. If you're looking for help planning customer experience management for COVID-19 and beyond, please don't hesitate to get in touch. My contact details are on my website, or you could reach me on LinkedIn and Twitter. My handle is at Julia Allfelt.